Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Who's Talking, the podcast where we talk about all things Doctor Who. I'm Michael. And I'm Maggie. And this week we're going to be talking about Chapter 5 of Doctor Who Flux, Survivors of the Flux. As the forces of evil mass, the Doctor, Yaz, and Dan face perilous journeys and seemingly insurmountable obstacles in their quest for survival. So, there was a lot going on in that episode. There was quite a bit, yeah. What'd you think? I think overall I liked it. I did enjoy it. I thought tonally it had inconsistencies between all the storylines. Aside from that, I liked it. I thought we got some really cute moments in there, some not-so-great moments. We learn more about the Doctor, which is always good. I mean, not always good, but, you know, it, we've been asking to learn more about the Doctor. Also, one of my theories is possibly proving correct. Ooh. I have the same sort of thoughts that I had after episode three, which is that individually I like a lot of what's going on, but as like a cohesive whole, it's just not there for me. It's it's like five different storylines happening at the same time with like like no connective tissue. Where there's no rhyme or reason as to why we're seeing certain scenes in a certain order. We're just haphazardly jumping back and forth between things. But, like, I'm liking most of the storylines, you know? Yeah, I get that. I mean, they're all interesting stories. It's just that they don't feel connected. And obviously they're going to connect at the end, but... But, I mean, we're five episodes in, and it's, like, some of these should have connected by now. They should have, yes. Like, I, I I know, and I'll, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but we'll just do it now. I know less about Swarm and Azure now than I did, like, three episodes ago. That's true. In that, I have, I have no idea what their purpose is in this story. Because they're not behind the flux. Turns out that the mysterious woman from episode three is, who is also Tecteun. Which we kind of figured. Yeah, that was, she was either going to be Tecteun or Rassilon. Like, that was... She was going to be someone from the Doctor's past. Because, I mean, that's what makes sense. And that's, like, that, I think that storyline is the one that's working the best for me. Because it's the one that has, like, a sense of causality to it. Where, like, the Doctor is on a specific journey that is trackable. That has motivations. And, like, an end goal. In that she's looking for the Division to try and find her missing memories. So that she can understand all of the stuff about her life that she doesn't you know, understand. And that's the goal. And getting captured gets her closer to the goal, as it turns out. But every other storyline, I can't, except for maybe, like, Bell and Vendors, right? I don't think a lot of the other ones have, like, a clear goal in mind. We don't know what Swarm and Azure are trying to do outside of vaguely destroying the Division. We don't know what the Grand Serpent is doing by infiltrating Unit, except that for some reason he's made a deal with the Sontarans. But why? And we don't know what Joseph Williamson is really doing. I mean, we sort of ha get we get a bit more of a clue as to what he has found in the tunnels and why he's digging. But we don't know why he started digging in the first place. I mean, th there's some nonsense about a final battle, which is the first time they've mentioned anything like that. Five episodes in, there's suddenly, oh, there's going to be a final battle on Earth. Like, there is? Since when? With the Centaurans, apparently. Like, at no point prior to this episode did it feel like that was where we were headed. 
And I think that's like a big problem is, is how does that make sense with the other stuff that's going on? And if there is a final battle that's happening, they are severely underusing Carvanista, who is like the guy with the battle axe. Yeah. And he presumably has, what, seven point some odd billion other Lupar? I think, I think they gave the pluralization and it was like Lupar, I think, is the pluralization of Lupari. Or was it the other way around? I think it's the other way around. I think Lupari is the pluralization of Lupar. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Either way, there's a bunch of other Carvanistas up in space, and they're using none of them. And they just, we know that they are a much smarter race than humans. We know that they are strategical thinkers. We know that they are steps ahead. They have, they have resources. Where are they? You know, if all of them have an assigned human, why... Why aren't they actually checking on their humans and, like, fighting alongside their humans? Why are they just comic relief at this point? That's all he did this episode was be kind of useless. And yell at Bell. And yell at Bell. Like, there's the whole thing, like, Yaz, Dan, and Jericho are traveling the world Indiana Jones style to find, like, relics that predict the end of the world. Which... By the way, I sat there and I was just looking and they said 1904 and then they continued to say 1904 and 1904 and 1904. And I'm like, what? what is the travel time here? They don't exactly have a vortex manipulator. They're on ships. This is going to take you know months at a time to get between all of these countries. They have to cross the entire freaking Atlantic Ocean to get back to uh, wherever in England they are. But then they go to China at some point. And they were in Nepal, I think. How did they have the money to do this as well? See, the money thing doesn't bother me because they are from the future. So they do have a skill set that surpasses the masses. That's I fair. I didn't mean to rhyme there. <laughs> but also, like, how do they know to look for any of this? There's just there's such a gap between where we left them last week and where we find them this week. And, and I have no idea how we got from tiny English village to breaking into, what was it, an Incan tomb? I can't remember. I don't know. I was too focused on the bit with Dan and uh, Jericho and the pulley system. Which was, to be fair, funny. That was funny. It was just, I enjoy a good bit of physical comedy. And they did it just enough that it didn't feel like it was overdone and just dragging on, which sometimes yeah. physical comedy can do. And I just, I, I don't, I'm so, it's not even confused because like I understand what their story is. I just don't understand like something's not clicking for me. Yeah, you see them get the, the doctor's message that tells them, okay, you have to go from A to B. But we don't actually see the process of them going from A to B. We see them starting at B, and we just have to assume they got there. Yeah, and it's... I, I feel like there are multiple storylines this episode that could have been their own episode and would have been vastly better. That's one of them, where we could have spent, you know, a lot more time tracking them from point A to point B to point C to Joseph Williamson. Instead of all of that happening in like 10, 15 minutes of screen time scattered throughout four other plots. And like the same thing is true with the Doctor and Tecteun, where that entire conversation could have been the majority of an episode instead of 
another 10 or 15 minutes. Well, with that, I do think some of that probably has to do with the fact that the episodes were shortened due to uh, having to film during a pandemic. Oh, sure. But at that point, then you get rid of some of the story. You don't cram it into a shorter time frame because that's how you get like these things that don't work because that you've just condensed it to a point that you're missing not necessarily information, but like motivation where you, you can't see the the logistics of what's happening it's just and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and no here's why it happened here's how it happened and i think that's what's missing for me i think because we don't have that and because we don't have enough connective tissue between each of the subplots what ends up happening with some of the subplots uh for example vinder and bell and I've said before that I really enjoy Vinder and Bell's story. I think it's a lot of fun, but I also think that you could cut it completely and it wouldn't make a lick of difference. The only thing that makes me... I I would normally agree with you. I've been saying that for weeks. But the only thing that makes me maybe question that is this whole thing that Vinder apparently is going to be, like, vital to freeing the people from inside the passenger. But I still don't understand what's going on with that. But they could have given that to anybody. They could have had anybody be vital. I mean, Diane could have done it on her own. Yeah. And they could have introduced the Grand Serp in a different way and been like, oh, this is a malicious bad guy. Yeah, it's just... The other thing that, like, confuses me, I guess... And I hate to keep harping on this. The the, the way that they don't feel connected is... I understand you needed to separate the Doctor from the Companions for this bit, right? And that you have to give the Companions something to do. But that whole... Everything with Unit... As interesting as it was, just doesn't feel like it's part of the story. Like that, you could cut that into all of that. Everything with with the Grand Serpent, with Kate, with the Santarans. But that would also end up cutting the stuff with Joseph Williamson and the stuff with Yazdan and Jericho because they're all, those are connected. But it just, this season is so about the Doctor's personal journey that it doesn't make sense that all this other stuff is happening. Because the big threat is so connected to her, but then we have to do something else because we've got, you know, two other main characters. Yeah, I think what they could have done to improve the unit uh, storyline was if they'd cut the Bell and Vinder stuff, they could have had more time to draw it out, draw some parallels between... You know, maybe stuff that Yaz and Dan and Jericho do in the past, and they're like, oh, we have such and such an artifact that we found in the wrong century, or something like that. Yeah. And they could have used it to further establish the Grand Serpent. I mean, we already knew the Grand Serpent was a bad guy. We didn't need to see that for some odd years. But we could also give that plot a little bit more oomph, a little bit more this is why it matters to the rest of the story. This is what we're setting up here. Because we know that UNIT was defunded in 2017. Yeah. Um, And we now know why, I guess. I mean, it's sort of the same thing that we figured, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Bunch of men on the board. I just, it also feels like, I think I said this last week or the week before, where for, for the number of episodes this season has, some of this stuff is happening so late in the game that it sort of feels like an afterthought as rather than like having been planned. Whereas, like, if this unit stuff had happened in episode four instead of five, you have time to build that up. And it's it's almost like for the amount of stories they're trying to tell, 
it should have been like a seven episode season or they should have maybe cut like the Santaran episode and reworked things so that they could have kept like the Atropos stuff and maybe wrapped that into episode one or at the end of, or at the beginning of episode three or something like you know what I mean like it feels like we wasted a lot of time early on on nothing it does feel wasted because like if Atropos and the Morai have no relevance here aside from oh they were a thing that the Time Lords did why didn't you give that part to the Weeping Angels to further set up the Weeping Angels? Or give that to the Centaurans or the Ood? Or or even that, like, why was it two episodes you worth of time? You didn't need it to be. Where it's like, a better way of structuring it maybe would be to cut out the Centaurans, have episode two be all of the Atropos stuff, have episode three be the Weeping Angels, have episode four be more or less what happened this week, and then have something between now and next week. Like, it's probably a better way of... Because, like, it's also, like, we just saw the Sontarans three episodes ago. I'm supposed to be happy they're back? They were defeated so easily last yeah, time. Yeah, like, we just saw them get their butts handed to them with minimal effort. I mean, a lot of people died. I don't want to minimize the fact that a lot of people died. But ultimately, it was, like, two days. And then all it took to defeat them was Dan and Carvanista blowing up a couple of ships. With a walk! Yeah, like, I'm supposed to... These, these are the big threat? I, it just doesn't work. It works if you haven't already, like, spent an episode with them. Like, they're not a surprise. I said in, epi in, in our second... When we did the second episode, I was like, hmm, you think they'll come back? Well, here they are. Welcome back. So happy to see you. Sontarans are my least favorite of the, like, big classic Doctor Who villains. Because they just never do anything interesting with them. That's true. I mean, for all of the, like, crap that the fandom gives to the Daleks and the lack of ultimate threat that the Daleks end up posing, they're way they're way more intimidating than the Suntarans. It's because they just... I think it's because the Daleks... There's no reasoning with the Daleks where you can almost reason with a Suntaran. And also the Daleks do all sorts of different innovative things to take over the world, whereas... Yes. The Centaurans are just like, cool, we're going to straight up murder you. Stab, yeah. stab, we're done. Plus or they, they shoot, do shoot. the occasional, like, there's a good Dalek or a good Cyberman or a Cyberman with too many emotions. And it's like, the only thing they've ever given us with the Centauran are Strax. But Strax was such a comedic character that it doesn't like, it's not the same thing as doing a dramatic story with... You don't end up feeling sympathetic for, for Strax. Yeah. So I don't know. I I I don't want to sound like I didn't like the episode. No, it was a good episode. It just had its issues. I think it it just exemplifies a lot of the issues the season has as a whole of just too much going on, no connection. It it works as a middle of the season episode. It does not work as the penultimate episode of the season and gearing you up for the finale. It feels like we have so far to go. I don't find myself getting super hyped about next week's finale because this, that, and the other thing. It just sort of feels like, oh, okay, now what? It would it would have been a great episode three or episode four, but it does not work as an episode five. If you have six episodes. If you had ten episodes, it would work as an episode five. I, even if you had seven or eight, I think it would work. 
And I'm, I'm starting to suspect that the New Year special might not be as separate as they are hinting. Particularly, I suspect some of the Division stuff may not be solved by end of next week. That they'll, the, the Doctor will defeat the, the Flux problem, will defeat the Sontarans, and then we'll go on our merry way for a while. Eh, I don't want that, though. I love the fact that the holiday specials get to stand on their own. I think it's, it's fun, because you can just plop the whole family down and everybody can watch it without having to know all of this lore. I mean, that's one of the issues that I had with uh, the previous New Year's special was they were just so stuck on... I mean, they had to be stuck on everything that had just happened to the Doctor because, you know, trauma takes time to deal with and she clearly still hasn't gotten over it, but I don't know. It just... On one hand, I don't want want them to rush through wrapping everything up, but on the other hand... I really need them to wrap it up so that we don't have to deal with that for the holidays. I, I, it's certainly not an ideal like solution to this problem, but I just I have like a nagging feeling that that's what they're gonna do. Like it's not what I want them to do, but what I want doesn't matter. Speaking of things that you want that don't matter, I remember we've talked a little bit about your uh, dislike of the timeless child arc and how you want that to go by the wayside and instead of that they have in fact doubled down on it a bit how are you feeling about that so i'm gonna sound like the world's biggest hypocrite right now oh are you gonna say that you like it i'm kind of liking what they're doing with it like this week it felt a little bit less like they were trying to make the doctor like a special chosen one because there was this emphasis from particularly from her of going well you don't actually know anything that what you're saying is true tecteun you might have just found me there and I'm from this universe and I had just been abandoned or, you know, like there's, they were emphasizing that this does actually ask a lot more questions than it answers. That's true. But I do like the idea that she's from the multiverse uh, and another universe simply because I, before the season started, if you guys listened to our um, predictory episode, predictory is not a word, but I'm going to make it a word. I did suggest that perhaps she was from the future of another universe who got shot into the past of this universe to create events that led to somebody from the future of this universe getting shot into the past of that universe. Yeah. And it comes a whole uh, loop-de-loop infinity symbol just causality situation. And that theory is kind of plausible now, and I feel very proud of myself. The thing that I liked about this this bit of the timeless children thing is less specifically like that the doctor is the timeless child and more like more of the dynamic between the doctor and tecteun is what like sells it for me oh definitely the way that tecteun uses this to get under her skin but she's also kind of right in that the doctor totally uses her companions for what they can offer her and and you know her friendships are not necessarily this this act of um like this selfless act right but i i just i always like it when the villain reminds the doctor that maybe they're not that different after all and that and that's why earlier when i said that like that whole bit could have been an episode to itself it's like i could have listened and i mean it wouldn't have made a good episode they would have had to do something else right but oh yeah but like the idea of a villain 
it's it's the same reason that, like the master and the doctor relationship is interesting because they're kind of two halves of the same coin and any story that centers that is sort of inherently interesting i think it's very similar to that where where that focus on the doctor's sort of the dual the duality of the doctor right her her ability to be this beacon of kindness but also this manipulative shadowy figure is always a really interesting dynamic to explore well what's interesting about that dynamic is that it speaks a lot to her past as a survivor of child abuse even though she has no memories of that which Jodie Whittaker's acting in this episode was just beautiful and I mean we all knew that she could do the intense heavy drama stuff I mean even if you've only seen one episode of Broadchurch you see that within the first five minutes that she can cry real pretty but I mean, she's known for being a drama actress. It was, yeah, it was very nice to see the dynamic between these two. They are, the way they play off each other is phenomenal. And I was just sort of sitting there like, oh, this is, this is really nice. I mean, it's not like nice sunshine and rainbows, but it's, um, you know, it's an enjoyable watch. It's very heavy and dark without being scary or without being like traumatic it's <laughs> it's dramatic without being traumatic if that makes sense i i described it as as the scenes had a lot of like heft and weight to them where, where it was stuff it felt like it mattered where like if you remember when when the timeless children happened i had said that i at no point did the episode convince me that the revelations actually mattered to the characters like, it was just information for the sake of information, whereas these scenes felt like they had an impact on the characters. We're finally getting that buildup of everything that they've put the Doctor through and what we've seen weighing on her and not talking about. We're finally getting the boiling over of the that pot. And it's it, it's a shame it took so long to get that, but now that we've got it, I couldn't ask for more you know what i mean like it's what i wanted and i just want them to follow through with it and, and see where it goes i'm hoping that she doesn't actually get the memories back though okay so why because it, it comes down to the the doctor who question mark thing because such a scene would likely involve us also seeing the memories I don't want to see the memories. I don't I don't want to have concrete answers about her past. What's appealing about the timeless child thing to me is that it reshrouds her in some level of mystery. And and I I wouldn't want to lose that just because it would be fun to see the memories, you know? Yeah, I think the only way for them to have her get her memories back and not have to sit there and detail, we don't know how many regenerations, hundreds of regenerations, would be if they just decided to forego any sort of imagery of her memories at all and just had, I don't know, a clip of her face as she like feels the weight of all of these past lives and then puts up her mask again and becomes the doctor we know and love and i'm doing that with air quotes know and love but that would also just be super underwhelming it would it would be so underwhelming and i mean it would would it execute the narrative sure but would it execute the narrative 
well in a compelling way that made you feel satisfied that you've watched all of this stuff for so long? No. I think what they started to set up at the end of this episode of the doctor having to make a choice between what, you know, between her objective and saving the universe, that's way more compelling because we we know what she's going to choose because I mean she even says as much like if you know me, you know I'm not going to just let the universe burn. And that that's the perfect out. She had the chance to get the memories. The chance is over. She has to accept that. That, to me, would actually be a satisfying conclusion to this arc because it's rooted in a character choice. Yeah, you're definitely right there. And then we get to have the, uh, the after effects of that. That being said, the next time trailer shows the Fob Watch opening. So gotta love those next time trailers spoiling <laughs> the episode. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that, that could very easily just be like a like a red herring kind of thing. It could very much be a flashback to when they opened the fob watch the first time to put the memories in. Yeah. I mean, there's any number of ways that that could play out that doesn't involve actually telling us anything. The other thing that I would maybe be okay with them doing would be if some of those memories were just of the Joe Martin doctor, I would be okay with like seeing how, how that life ended. Because there's a lot of theorizing that she may be the doctor that directly precedes William Hartnell. And so there there could be something kind of fun there of seeing the end of this, the end of this era of mystery lives as it becomes the era that we know. You know, if Joe Martin regenerates into this child who ends up in the barn and ends up growing into the first doctor. Like, I'd be okay with that, maybe. Because we already know that Joe Martin exists and that presumably will regenerate into someone. And if she were the last doctor before Hartnell, you sort of, if you imagine that the fob watch is like a jar, her memories would be at the top of that jar because they're the most recent. Yeah. And that could even be like the, the, the fob watch opens. We just get that glimpse and someone closes it. And we only get to keep Joe Martin's memories. I'd be super okay with that. I, can you imagine Swarm taunting her by opening the fob watch just a little bit and then snapping it back shut? And then before she gets to open it again, it gets shot. Or she has to make the decision of, do I open it or do I leave? Or the fob watch is, uh, has some property to it that allows it to be the final element in whatever combination of elements are needed in order to undo the flux we had the same thought at the same time there right as you were saying it, i went or she has to use it to stop the flux and i just imagine her like throwing it <laughs> chucking it baseball style into the into the uh, universe yeah i think it'd be really satisfying to see her like have to physically give up the memories like that and i think an action like that from like a choreography standpoint has a lot more impact than just it getting shot by a third party. Yeah. And it also it also makes an internal conflict external as well, just like on on a writing perspective of it's more compelling to make her have to physically sacrifice something than to make a decision. Exactly. No idea if that's what they'll do, but they should do it. They should. What else are your hopes for the finale? I just, I want more Kate. Kate's going to be in the finale. She's in yes. the trailer. And how nice was it just to see her? I mean, she was only there for like five minutes, but I was like, God, I missed her. She is so good. I just, much much like her father, 
she has such a no-nonsense attitude that is so refreshing because she is unafraid to just stare into the face of some threatening alien and just tell them off. She has the same sort of like, I'll teach you a lesson vibe as the doctor has when the doctor gets really mad. And and I think that's why the doctor and the Lethbridge Stewarts have always kind of gotten along, even though the Lethbridge Stewarts tend to gravitate towards the military and the doctor tends to not like the military. But it's it's the same just sort of, we're not going to take the nonsense, we're going to protect the Earth. So I'm really hoping that Kate, we get to see a lot more of Kate. I I would love to see like Osgood or other unit members but i i don't think that's necessarily likely no i think especially with all the covert restrictions you can only have so many guest stars that and i just don't think the episode has the room for any more characters no and you'd really have to like check back in with her and see what she's been up to and all that and, and i just that, we don't have time for that it may be an hour-long episode but we don't have time for that i'm also hoping that bell and vinder f- find each other by the end of the episode and that they don't drag that out, because I just can't imagine why you would drag that out any further. It doesn't need to be dragged out. It it can be just very cute. And I hope I hope Dan and Diane find each other. I mean, same. I, I the thing that I really liked about how that that tiny little short Vinder and Diane little I don't even want to call it a vignette, it was a scene, is you know, it is a payoff of Vinder telling Dan he would help Dan rescue Diane, you know? And I like every little payoff we can get. I think it's going to be... I know I said that you could replace Vinder with anybody, but I think it's going to be really worthwhile to see. Yeah. I It's it's less that I think either one of us really wants to, like, get rid of Belle and Vinder, get rid of any of the subplots. It's just that I think both both of us... And correct me if I'm wrong. I think we both just wish there'd been a way to maybe better integrate all of the storylines. Yes, absolutely. Because like I said, I'm having a lot of fun with them. Yeah. Like I'm even, I'm not, I'm even like, Joseph Williamson's even kind of won me over, Maggie. I mean, you have a big room with lots of doors and many different doors to go into, except that one room. Don't go in that room. That is the room of death. (laughs) It's just, it's full of possibilities. It's a world of pure imagination. (laughs) But it also like, suddenly why he's been appearing in all these places makes sense. I still think those scenes weren't needed. But we have an explanation for them now. And it was a satisfying one and a quick one. It didn't waste a bunch of time. It was, ah, where we found him. He's actually important to the plot. Oh, this is why, this is how all of this has been happening. Okay, I guess that makes sense. It, time has gone funny after the flux. Time is in flux, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of that, what was the point of the space and time war? All of that mumbo jumbo about space fighting time. Yeah, they still haven't fully explained that, and I don't know if I don't know if there is a further explanation or they're just assuming that the fans are going to come to their own conclusion as they watch the episode. I I mean I I appreciate keeping certain things ambiguous, right? There there is there is a joy to be had in not having every little piece of minute information but then why did you introduce the concept of there being that sort of explanation exactly it's it's there are certain things you can get away with like i don't need to know how dan yaz and jericho 
you know, got this information that they have to go find this artifact, right? I don't that that's something you don't need for the story to make sense. They were on Earth for three years, fine, whatever. I think it's weird, but you can look past that. I think I'm, it's just when you introduce a concept that is as like big and and vague as the literal concept of time and the literal concept of space in an endless battle with each other, you can't just leave it at that. You have to go into that or it's nonsense. You're 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 right. And I think that what makes in particular stuff like the doctor's stance on paradoxes and what happens with that, what makes that work is the fact that we don't have all of the answers and we can we have the ability to suspend our disbelief and hand wave it away. If you sit there and try to explain every little bit of it or create such a big concept of here's how space and time interact with each other, what you've done is necessitated explanations for, okay, well, you need to tell me how all this works so that we know that the rules that you just presented are rules that hold up. It all comes down to needing to find a balance between things where, like, where you can sort of hand wave some of those paradoxes off because they give you enough information to create that plausibility. Where it's like, for, take uh, Angels Take Manhattan, for example. They don't have to tell us specifically in like minute detail why the Doctor can't go back to 1930-whatever, right? They have said that there's just enough weird time stuff happening that if he goes, it'll blow up the universe. And that's something you're willing to just take at face value where it's like, alright, you gave me a plausible reason, timey-wimey fine this is like they, they went too far the other direction and, and introduced a concept that was like too specific but also too vague and so it requires an explanation and then but giving anything is probably giving too much but you can't just leave it as is exactly and it's finding that balance between giving enough information that something makes sense without giving so much information that you're bogged down in needless exposition and to that extent, I think that they've done that, unfortunately, with the Weeping Angels a bit as well, because they've created this whole backstory for them working for the Division and all that, and they've got the whole Doctor turned into a Weeping Angel for, like, two seconds situation, which they did not use that as well as they could have. No. Uh, that could have been so much cooler. But I digress. You've created a whole environment for these weeping angels to have this history and this backstory as opposed to just being scary ancient beings. Now they're a little less scary. They're less scary because we don't know those answers. We don't know their motivations. And it goes from we don't know their motivations, ooh, scary, to what the heck is up with them? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that it's not like all weeping angels work for the Division, but it's still just like, oh, so you can, they can just, you can just hire weeping angels? You can you can negotiate with them. There were certainly enough to suggest that it's not a small amount of weeping angels that work for division. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I I'm I'm just finding that there's just a lack of balance and stuff here. And also, and I know you don't love this episode, or even like it necessarily, but do you just get the impression that 
not even specifically just in this season, but in any of the Chibnall seasons, there would ever be room for an episode like Heaven Sent. Because everything happens just so quickly all the time. Yeah, there wouldn't there wouldn't be an episode that would be like Heaven Sent. And there couldn't there couldn't be an episode like Turn Left either. They could there couldn't be a self contained episode that deeply explored a character's motivations like that. And I feel like the the, the, the stuff with the doctor this episode could have easily been a turn left or or a heaven sent of you know you spend the first chunk of it her alone with those weeping angels because that that was compelling it just was there for a minute i know but you spend more time and she's like slowly losing her mind or something and then you know somewhere around the midpoint of the episode you segue into the tech tea and stuff and but you you could have had like a really compelling like examination of a character, but there's just no time. There isn't, and I I know that there is some of that due to COVID restrictions, but I also know that that's the COVID excuse only takes you so far. It does. Some of it boils down to writing. Like if you know that you've only got six episodes because that's all you can kind of afford to do in the time allotted with the money allotted because of the COVID restrictions. And you've got to write something that makes sense for six episodes. It feels like he took a ten episode season and shrunk it down into six. Which is probably what happened. But that's like not good. No, that's not, that's good not writing. the right way to approach that. You sit down and you start from zero and you say, okay. You start killing your darlings. Yeah. I can't believe of all creatures, the Centaurans are probably Chibnall's darlings. <laughs> I, I just, of all the monsters to bring back... I mean, I'm glad it's not the Daleks or the Cybermen, because it's always them, but, like, wow. Yeah, it didn't need to be Daleks or Cybermen. Of all the creatures, it had to be the Sontaran. But despite all of that, and, and despite both of us kind of not necessarily being as excited as you would want to be going into the finale, I think it's fair to say that we are still, like, really eager to see how they tie this up. Absolutely, yes. And... Maybe our theories will come true, which we didn't have a lot of theories this episode, but we've had theories throughout. And I think it'll be fun to see if we were on the money or not. It'll definitely make for some interesting conversation. And if you want to hear that conversation, you can tune in next week when we break down the season finale of Doctor Who Flux, The Vanquishers. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.